Hey, 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 welcome to another version of the Pastor Duke podcast coming to you from Rock Hill, South Carolina. We love our new home here in the South, learning to get used to all these nice people down here. Got a great church, uh, reconnected with uh, three grandbabies down here, see them all the time, loving every minute of it. But I do confess, I miss a whole lot of people in New York and uh, the churches that I minister to up there on a regular basis. But it's a new season of our lives, and the uh, phone keeps ringing. Uh, booked a prophecy conference in Texas coming up next month and in uh, Alabama and heading off to Michigan, Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania, doing a couple preaching trips coming up. Reconnecting with our granddaughter in Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama, Highlands College, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing in her family. Got a grandson doing a one-year internship in his church, studying to be a music worship leader in uh, the Lord's church, and so we're really excited. God's been good to us, but today we're going to do a sequel to the last podcast I did about our amazing Bible. Uh, where we co covered in last podcast the phenomena of prophetic accuracy, perfect continuity of the Bible, the passionate and never-ending work of translation and transmission of this amazing book we call the Bible. This episode, we uncover the amazing science insights of Scripture from the very first page. We'll look at the historicity of the Word of God. Isn't that a big word for former hippie? <laughs> history is a compound word. His story. How about that? We'll look at the historicity of the Word of God and the mind-boggling archaeology, which has never once contradicted even one verse of the Bible. We will see the historicity and archaeology go hand in hand like two sides of the same coin. For our deeper theological students, this is all part of biblical apologetics, reasons uh, to believe biblical Christianity is not a mystical fantasy world of chanting rituals and paranormal experiences. I don't believe for one second that Jesus ever intended to start a religion, but he clearly intended to establish a personal and I might say intellectual and emotional relationship with every man, woman, boy, and girl of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Uh, he wants a relationship with us. My faith is not mystical. My faith is rooted in a written document, the Holy Bible. It's about real people like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob, his 12 sons, this Joseph story, and on to Moses. Real people living in real times. And especially, <laughs> this book is about a historical prophet from Nazareth of Judea who lived, breathed, died, and rose again. His name is Jesus, name above all names, who turned out to be much more than a prophet. He is also priest. He is also soon to be enthroned as king of kings and lord of lords. They were real people from real places. It was a real cross, and it was an empty tomb. 
Now I want to take you to the first page of our Bible for some mind-boggling scientific insights. Millenniums ahead of what we call modern-day science. If you want to hear bizarre stories of origins of the universe, go to the mythology, which I was taught in the public school, these pagan mythologies, they weren't really taught as science, but they, nonetheless, the pagan mythologies were taught. Uh, And you see the uh, mythological wars between the pantheon of gods. You see Hercules lugging the world around on his shoulders, all nonsensical, non-science, and yet just those mythologies are still allowed to be taught in our public schools. Isn't that interesting? Whereas creation science was cast out of our public schools after the Scopes trial of 1929 and atheistic evolution became the official bedrock of government-sponsored science in our schools. Then in 1962, the entirety of the Bible was kicked out of our public educational system. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1.22, teaching that your great-great-great-great-granddaddy was a monkey. We'll get into some of the genetics of that in a few minutes. Before I give the biblical proclamation of origins I'll give you the secular scientific view that I was taught in the Ohio public school system. Here we go. In the beginning, nothing became everything. You know, time can do anything given enough time, given enough chances. But everything was dead until a bolt of lightning. Uh, From who knows where that lightning came from. That lightning hits a necessary group of amino acids which had randomly gathered in a warm tidal pool. Whammo! Life spontaneously generates on planet Earth. Isn't that a sweet term? Spontaneous generation. A simple, the story goes, a simple one-celled living organism. I've always wondered if it was a boy or if it was a girl. I've always wondered where it found its mate. I always say, always kind of wondered What did it eat? How did it get to the grocery store (laughs) to find its food? A lot of questions arise from that story. In that simple little swimmy, I like to call it, there was a cellular membrane, a nuclear membrane. There was cytoplasm, protoplasm, and endoplasm contained within that simple little guy or, or gal, whoever it was. No one is sure. There were cilii for locomotion, enzymes for digestion, components for reproduction, respiration, and secretion. We must never forget the endoplasmic reticulum, nor the flagellum lysosome sertrioli. It's been a long time since ninth grade. We studied all this out. Uh, peroxisomes, microtubuli, intermediate filament, microfilament, mitochondrion, ribosomes, and the Golgi apparatus. <laughs> I can't even say these things anymore. It's how amazing how simple it was. And we can't leave out the simplest of them all, the DNA molecule, deoxyribonucleic acid, which is the foundation genetic code of everything, living plant and animal, the most complex of any uh, 
molecule found uh, in the natural, chemical, and biological world, but they call it simple when they're telling their scientific view of origins. After the origin story is left behind it, they find it to be extremely complicated. And all, of course, that all happened by time and chance. Isaac Asimov said, time can do anything given enough time. Chance can do anything given enough chances. That, my friends, is clearly a faith position. They choose to call science. Then they boldly proclaim my biblical science, which I'm going to lay on you in a minute. They call it religion and thenceforth uh, false science. And to be banned from the public education on the grounds of separation of church and state. Oh, my. Well, forgetting the politics and forgetting the evolutionary model, Oh, yes, I nearly uh, forgot the rest of the science story of origins. That first life form, the little swimmy, multiplied its cellular numbers, uh, eating, <laughs> we don't know what, and, and dating, we don't know who. Well, as the climate changed, it environmentally adapted into new and more complex life forms. But isn't it interesting when we look at the fossil record, we see millions of extinct creatures that once lived but are now dead because they could not adapt uh, environmentally. But they'll use the environmental adaptation story uh, to uh, complete their narrative as it transformed into higher uh, forms. So the story continues uh, from the amoeba to the multicell organisms to more complex invertebrates to complex vertebrates, fish to amphibians to reptiles to birds to mammals to monkeys and to man all through time and chance environmental adaptation and natural selection fancy terms it was all filtered uh, to the survival of the fittest which means there's no moral codes attached life has no intrinsic value life swam out of the sea it lost its tail it climbed a tree it grew feathers and flew around flew back to the tree its feathers fell out it grew another tail and it swung upside down but it swung too hard and its tail broke. It fell to the ground and stood up on its two hind legs and went down to the university and got a job teaching biology. That's what I was taught as science in my public school in Ohio. Well, I reject all of their science, so-called, and mark it as their secular religion, their faith position, as there are no true science of any sort in the, their stories of origin. Now, because of the absurdities of the evolutionary model, many scientists are abandoning uh, evolution altogether and leaning towards uh, that life has been transplanted here on planet Earth by some super alien civilizations because they, they recognize the absurdity of uh, evolutionary uh, life forms transferring up when everything, and according to laws of thermodynamics, uh, entropy, first law, everything is is winding down and going from the complex uh, to this to randomness. Well, I want to just kind of tune all that foolishness out and just look at the first page of the Holy Scriptures with science in mind. 
Here we go. Genesis 1.1. Most everybody who doesn't even know the scriptures knows this pretty well. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, that's time. God created, that's plan and purposed, the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. That is a scientific continuum. You can't have one without the other. If you have matter, you must have space to put it in. If there is matter and space, when did it arrive? It had to arrive at the same time. Or the big question, who made it arrive? I think we're getting somewhere now. We have screaming evidence of time, of space, of matter, and conflicting stories about it. Atheistic evolution says time and chance. But this ancient Hebrew writing, the Bible has another story, plan and purpose. Doesn't reason say if there is a footprint, there must be a foot. If there is a portrait, there must be an artist. If there is a creation, there must be a creator. Those who choose to believe, I'm going to say that again, those who choose to believe in evolution must face the challenges of chemistry, the chemistry of intelligence. It's not just the body of, of plants and animals, but what, where, do, where do you get intelligence? Plants don't have intelligence. They have to face the chemistry of memory, the chemistry of emotion, of affection, of will. Is all of that by chemical randomness, or is there evidence in the universe of intelligent design? To me, it's a screaming no-brainer. In the beginning, an omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, immutable God created the universe and chose to create man in his own image. One triune God creates man in a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. Oh, isn't the atom also a trinity? Proton, neutron, and electron? Oh, isn't the solar system also a trinity? Stars, planets, satellites, or we might say moons. That which we see above us is uh, in, the, in the cosmos is what we see below us in an electron microscope. Trinity, trinity, trinity. Maybe not a cosmetological coinkydinky. Genesis 1, 1 through 10, explains the geology of the planet. And verse 11 through 31 explains the origin of life, both plant and animal, the ultimate of God's creation, man, the apple of God's eye. Thank God he loves man. Sometimes I don't know why, uh, but he does, and I'm so thankful for that. But I want to focus on one verse that geologically and meteorologically pretty much explains it all for me. Are you ready? Here we go. Genesis 1, 7. And God made the firmament, that means expanse, and divided the waters, which were two places now, the water under the firmament, I would see this as the subterranean water, the oceans, rivers, lakes, etc. The waters under the firmament, aquifers, we might say, water below, the, the, we pump it out every day and drink it, uh, from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so... Now I'm taking a literal interpretation of the written word of God. I'm not trying to allegorize away, well, water really means something. No, no, no. We're talking about H2O here. We're not allegorizing away of anything written in the scriptures. We're not trying to twist it. We're not trying to dismiss it. We're not to forget that as though it was never written. Water, H2O, 
We're talking three forms of water in a solid, ice, and liquid, water, in mist or vapor. You know water, about eight pounds per gallon, you know that stuff? You know water, the sustainer of all life, plant, and animal. The water's above, the water's below. Well, from the start in verse 7, we're speaking glo- globally, not locally. This is very important. Water. Vast amounts of water in two places, above the firmament and below the firmament. We earthlings today, we relate clearly with the waters below, oceans, lakes, rivers, and uh, subterranean waters that we drill up and drink in our homes. But it's the waters above that is a bit more mysterious to us. We say, oh yeah, that would be clouds and rain. But clouds and rain are local, not global. This is a global view of the planet. I'm sharing now what is called uh, in theology the canopy theory. In science, the canopy theory in the uh, big part of the bigger story of creation. Uh, it makes total geological and meteorological sense to me. All of the fossil records support it. And every time I fill up my car with gas, I thank God for Genesis 1-7. You say, well, why? What does that have to do with anything? Well, there has to be a geological reason for the vast supplies of fossil fuels on this glorious planet. And Genesis 1-7 and Genesis 7-11 explains it all in simple terminology. I'll get to there in a minute. Water above globally would form a water vapor canopy which would freeze and create what scientists call a meteorologically closed system. We live today in a meteorologically open system. We see weather fronts, we see storms, we have jet streams, variable uh, evaporation patterns, especially around the tropics on the oceans. It's an open system. It changes. But what we read in the ancient Hebrew text on the first page of the Bible is a meteorologically closed system which would create a temperature constant, kind of like a giant terrarium. Global temperatures would be the same if you're on the north slope of Alaska or if you were at the equator. Uh, Temperatures would be diffused within this giant terrarium giant to us but when you're an omnipotent eternal immutable god it might not be so big at all then we see another crazy verse (laughs) that the mocking scientists love to laugh at in genesis 2 chapter 5 and verse 6 where it says in that meteorologically closed world it never rained but there went forth a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground they see it as a ha-ha verse. You can't take that literally. That's insane. Ha-ha. I see it as an aha verse. It explains everything. With a water vapor canopy enveloping the earth, it can't rain. It's a giant terrarium. You don't have to water a terrarium. Whatever water is in it naturally recycles itself into what? A mist that waters the whole face of the ground. That that sunlight that's upon it uh, 24-7 as the earth rotates 
has everything warm and, and watered insides. It's like a built-in hydrological irrigation system. <laughs> wow, it's unbelievable. And it's really pretty simple. A perfect environment for plant growth. You know, fabulous, lush, tropical vegetation across the entire uh, planet uh, that one day would uh, become massive reserves of fossil fuels. Thank you, Lord, including natural gas, oil, and coal. Maybe not a cosmic coinky-dinky, huh? A quick look now at the fossil record. You know, the facts are uh, okay to integrate into our stories. Rocks don't lie, but people do lie about the rocks. The fossil record stands. There's no debate. It's just the fact that the entire globe was tropical and covered with massive tropical vegetation, as Genesis 1-7 would demand. Uh, what, what is that we're pumping off the north slope of Alaska even as we speak? Oh, yes, that would be fossil fuels. But something changed. Something radically changed. Globally changed. The closed system, perfect for plant and animal life to abound and grow to immense size. Something happened. The evolutionists say, a uh, 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 meter. Uh, well, there was a global tilt on the earth axis. Uh, uh, they can't get their um, messages to agree. They really have no evidence of anything uh, except we have all the evidence. They just reject the evidence. And so they don't agree about it, but they know something happened. They know and they agree and that the fossil fuels are all over the planet and it was all tropical. Well, we who studied the scriptures know exactly what happened. We know why it happened and we even know when it happened. Genesis 6, 7, and 8, Noah and the universal flood. Because of man's sin, God brought judgment, and that perfect meteorological environment was about to end. Genesis 7.11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. I'd say that's the waters below. And the windows of heaven were opened. I'd say that's the waters above. Result? A universal flood. The great Pangea, the one giant landmass that even the evolutionists agree with us about, uh, it was broken up. If you ever noticed the east coast of North and South America versus the west coast of Europe and Africa, you kind of bring them together, they all fit. So we agree with them uh, on the breaking up of the great Pangea and the continental drift, they would call it. We, I would maybe call it that too. Uh, the planet broke up into the seven geological Teutonic plates that we have today. They say the drift was slow. I believe the drift was fast. As a global seismic meteorological catastrophe reshaped the face of the earth, geological pressures uh, raised up great mountain ranges the, as the Pangea broke and drifted into the seven continents we have today. I find that a bit interesting. God's perfect number of seven that he refers to himself uh, by in numerology. Seven is the number of God, seven Teutonic plates, and seven continents. I, I'm just saying that might not mean anything, but uh, leave me alone. I, I think it's cool. 
those few verses explain the history of our global geology and our meteorology. Just those two verses, well, maybe three verses. After the flood, there's no more vapor canopy blocking radiation from the sun. The longevity of, of people prior to the flood, the scientists laugh at, they mock. Man was living eight and 900 years. But when that water vapor canopy came down, immediately the first generation died off at 400 years, the second generation died off at 200 years, and the third generation down to 100 or less, which has remained a constant for human longevity ever since. As the world was getting polluted now with radiation from the sun, ultraviolet was doing its damage on plants and animals. The scriptures are easy to believe scientifically, but for some reason, if it's biblical science, it's mocked, it's rejected, it's hated, it's ignored. You see, folks, it's a spiritual battle, not a scientific battle. And when you reject the, the evidence that's before you, you're going to wind up believing in, in a new form of mythology. It's really pretty simple. The one who created it all explained it all. But when mankind rejects what his maker has said, man uh, pronounces himself wise and becomes a complete fool. Well, one more scientific phenomena from the very first page of the scriptures is genetics. Nine times in chapter one, God declares that all species, plant and animal reproduce after their kind. That's a big old closed door genetically between species. Much genetic variation within the same species. All different sizes and colors and shapes and tendencies of dogs. But any dog can genetically mate with any other dog, but he can't mate with a cat. It's a genetic situation. It would be thousands of years later till man could figure out why. With the electron microscope, man could finally see the sacred DNA molecule with all its ribosomes and genetic code. That's what closed the door between species. The DNA did not line up. It did not match. And here, the atheist evolutionary stand with pathetic, hating God egg on their faces their whole evolutionary story of one species evolving into something bigger and better finally, <laughs> ultimately into man, scientifically, it's absurd. Genetically, it's impossible. Not one, not even one fossil exists of what I'd like to call the tweeners, you know, a transitional uh, fossil, um, half bat, half bird, etc. Um, no not one. Let the record be clear of the billions and billions of fossils we have, without exception, all of them are distinct. Uh, a distinct bird is distinct bat, a distinct fish, and on and on it goes. There are no such thing as transitional creatures. We don't need just one. We need transitional creatures if the evolutionary story is true from everything to everything, and there's not one. It's just distinct uh, fossils, as the biblical record would demand, so it is. And so this story that they tell is just another mythology 
a man-made story to intellectually move man away from the faith in his creator who gave us all the scientific facts we need right on the very first page of the Bible. My grandkids would say it's all just a big fat lie. Genesis 1.27 also says God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, both male and female created he them. Well, that's for another podcast. That was pretty simple up until about 30 years ago. Now it's gotten very complicated again, male and female. Well, as Sodom, uh, we read about in Genesis 19, uh, Sodom has returned to our world morally just as Jesus said it would in the time of the end. The most vile, the most absurd has returned. People today don't even know where to go potty. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this journey through the first page of the scriptures, the scientific part of the scriptures. Uh, There's tons more theology in Genesis chapter 1, but I just wanted to hit the science high points to strengthen your faith uh, in the eternal word of God. Don't let people mess you up about God. Let God straighten you out about people. Uh, God explains everything we need to know. And I just realized, oh no, as I'm concluding the podcast, a big oops. I never did get to the historicity of scripture and the archaeological phenomena. I apologize to you. I promised that I would do that. Well, you can tell where next podcast is going to be heading. I'll complete the trilogy on our amazing Bible as next time we'll look at the archaeological phenomena and the historicity of the scriptures. Oh my goodness, what a book he gave us. As my grandkids sing the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You see, folks, we have way more than a, a, just a, a mythology book here. We, we don't just have to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. We have the Word of the Living God. And so thanks for tuning me in, uh, getting seven to 10,000 listens a week. Appreciate if you would help me uh, as you share with your friends, encourage people to listen to my podcast. It means the world to me. I'm able to do it uh, for free. Uh, bought all the equipment and uh, love doing it, man. Oh, man, oh, man, what a joy it is to teach the Word of God. So have a great day. See you next time. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>